What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bill and Power. This is Gabby. And KT. And we're back with another episode. How's everybody doing? Hit us up on all social medias at Building RPWR. And let's get into it. Okay, we're taking a break from reading the community control uh, pamphlet. And we are going to do a little Labor Day special because by the time y'all listen to this, it will be Labor Day of 2023. And so the way that we even, all this stuff came full circle is I just came back from Chicago not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I went on the architecture riverboat tour which i thought was gonna be lame but it really got me thinking about some things because they were talking about you know post the big great fire all these white architects were like trying to rebuild the city and talking about making these utopias and they were using a lot of uh, covert white supremacist type ideals and stuff being needing to be clean and white and and things need to be pretty to in, improve uh, societal behavior like stuff like that mm-hmm. and I was like what is the root of all this stuff and so I started doing some deep some digging and found this documentary and then I uh started reading about Pullman uh who was one of the big industrial types in Chicago and uh was the creator of the sleeping cars Yes. And uh, they were talking about how he had company towns in Illinois where, you know, we've we've done episodes about that, where the workers literally lived in his town. They paid rent to him. They paid utilities to him. And they also worked for him. But it was a pretty, a pretty scenic place. You know what I'm saying? It was very beautiful. And uh, he had rules you couldn't drink. You couldn't behave certain ways. And he was... uh, posted up and and praised like a what they call it reform capitalist yeah pretty much uh because he had told the line between being able to make bukus of money but still you know making your workers happy until there became an economic type of collapse thing and Pullman laid off all these workers 30 percent of the workers and the workers that was left he had them working even longer hours and was not paying them more and the rent was increasing yeah so that started a strike which we will get into is the reason why we ended up having labor day (laughs) i just thought it was so interesting because i i wasn't even trying to find nothing like that right but I just so happened to to fall into the, one of the reasons that we have Labor Day is because of that Pullman guy and his terrible working conditions and the workers standing up and getting shit done. Uh, so, Katie, if you want to guide the rest of the episode. The American Railway Union, ARU, had formed in June 1893 in Chicago with membership open to all white railroad employees of any profession. While other unions, such as the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen, focus on specific professions, the ARU embrace all related professions, even coal miners, longshoremen, and car builders, if they were an employee of the railroad. Pullman Company employees were eligible since the company owned and operated a few few miles of railroad to access its factories. The structure of the union was one that encouraged democracy and settlement of grievances by mediation, recognizing that strikes were best avoided as they were destructive for both employees 
and the employer. Under the leadership of Eugene V. Debs, the union won some early victories and ranks swelled to 150,000 members. Pullman workers who had formed a grievance committee to negotiate with the company were getting nowhere, and though ARU leadership advised against it, a strike broke out at the Pullman factories on May 11, 1894. The timing was unfortunate since the company could afford to withstand a work stoppage financially by relying on existing leases. Against the might of the Pullman company, the cause of the workers seemed hopeless. The Pullman Company continued to resist any concessions in negotiation with the strikers, trying to wait them out. So the ARU decided to take a truly injurious action against the Pullman Company on a national scale, a boycott of the handling of Pullman cars by all ARU workers. Because Pullman cars were in such wide use, the boycott crippled rail traffic nationwide. Workers across the country had also seen wage reductions and had cause to take action. The size and scope of the ARU was threatening to railroads. In response, the General Managers Association, an industry group representing 24 railroads with terminals in Chicago, organized measures against the boycott. Those who walked off the job were replaced with strike breakers or scabs. And the association tried to sway public opinion against the boycott through methods such as encouraging railroad managers to hitch Pullman cars to mail cars to disrupt delivery. It was through disruption of the United States mail that the federal government was given an opening for intervention into the boycott and strike. The government was uncomfortable with the labor actions in general, part of the growing apprehension about the laboring classes by those in the propertied class during a period of economic hardship. An injunction against the boycott was secured on the grounds of the violent nature of the strike and the threat to interstate commerce, citing the Sherman Antitrust Law of 1890, which ironically had been adopted to combat monopoly by big business. Going over the head of Illinois' Governor John Peter, Thousands of U.S. Marshals and U.S. Army troops were deployed in what seemed an outsized response to the disturbance. In Chicago, mob activity increased with the military presence, with members from Pullman, but many more from other Southside neighbors. Back in Pullman, the Pullman Company, strikers' plight had been overshadowed on a national stage by the boycott. Fighting between the military and the workers at railroads in the Chicago area left dozens dead and more wounded. The injunction led to the gelling of key leaders, weakening the ARU and the strike. With the government working to the General Managers Association's ends, Debs felt the only way to force Pullman Company into arbitration was reaching out to the other labor groups to join in a general strike but his efforts did not succeed. The boycott dissolved in mid-July, and the ARU was defeated. For a refusal to obey the injunction, Debs and others in ARU were indicted for contempt. In later July, President Grover Cleveland appointed a commission to investigate the strike and the boycott. So, what happened after that strike happened? Though public sentiment had been against the boycott, George Pullman was roundly criticized for the policies that led to the strike and his refusal to enter into arbitration with his workers. The situation for those in Pullman remained dire, 
and while little effort was made to evict residents or collect rent in arrears, destitution was widespread. In his testimony before the Investigation Commission, however, George Pullman defended his model town and his decisions, though they had led to a strike which ultimately damaged the company and the strikers and tarnished his image. If George Pullman entertained any doubts about the wisdom of continuing the company town experiment, they were not reflected in his actions. Company ownership and concern with the town's appearance continued under Pullman's direction until his, until his death in 1897. Okay. So, uh, something that they don't put in here is the reason that we even are talking about this. Is um, after... The, quote unquote the strike uh, when everything had been dissolved disbanded and the people were forced to go back to work um the government created a day <laughs> in honor of all the workers in honor of labor mm-hmm. called labor day and this was used as a concession to appease the workers and everything they wanted. Yeah. Now, in any of that, did you hear anything about an eight-hour work day? Did you hear anything about paid leave? Did you hear anything about sick time? Did you hear anything about vacations? Nothing. They said, you will get a holiday. And that is it. Go back to work. And la-da-da-da-da. Now we have Labor Day. The day that was used as a way to deter and disintegrate any type of radical action, radical thought in America when it came to workers' rights and general strikes and all that other shit. So, which now- is which is interesting if you think about it. Like, like if you look at it and you say to yourself, "Okay, these people just literally these poor people literally just wanted to live. They just wanted to have eight hours a day." They just wanted to be able to pay their rent on time. They just wanted to be able to live a normal-ass life. They just said, okay, here's a day. Enjoy it. Which, by the way, if we if we look at it now, pretty sure that not a lot of people can even get off on Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Not no restaurant workers... Not fast food, not Macy's. Yeah, like, it's fucked up. Yeah, so the point of it was as a way to appease, and now um, the point is a way to make money, because apparently this is one of the days of mass consumerism. Everybody is off, and the only thing you really can do is have a cookout and buy stuff. So... (laughs) I wanted to talk about this because there's a lot of correlations to what we got going on now and also just showing the lengths that the government will go to protect capital and protect yeah. capitalism. Um, and we have another story after this. So the government literally brought the National Union people, the guards, down to Pullman to force, to force people to work. Get back to work. To force people. This is a free country, right? Apparently. This is a free country, the land of the free, home of the brave. The government can come down and force you to work for a man. 
that is the role of the government. It goes hand in hand. Now, they claim they needed a, a reason. They needed a way in. And yeah. the mail thing allowed them to go in and do something about it. But I'm under the impression that even if the federal mail had nothing to do with it, eventually the government would have intervened. And so we see again, what was the use of the police, the soldiers, the National Guards? Their job was to break up break up any type of strikes, any type of unionizing, any type of fighting, any type of anything radical of the workers. It was to intimidate them. It was to kill some. Yep. In like in Haymarket. And it was to disintegrate any of that stuff. So thank you. Let's thank the government. Let's thank the the military. Let's thank the police officers for creating these conglomerates that we have today. Creating these billionaires that we have today. They really should. They should really have an, an, their own day, like the, the capitalist day. And the police should be in the very front getting medals and stuff. Because without them, hmm, those people would not have been able to get with get away with everything that they got away with. The the police did a great job. I think it is crazy like it's it's interesting what's most interesting to me is like how it all came together and how it finally stopped like how the strike finally ended because it was like uh pretty much like a one month it was was between two months that it happened and the uh guy Pullman was like no I'm definitely not I'm 100% not going to say anything i'm not going to give these people eight hours a day i'm not going to give these people a livable wage i'm not going to do blah blah blah. and it was like they were like okay well uh them these these people out here these railroad workers they're messing with the federal government's money they're messing with the federal government's mail blah, blah 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 like that's all it took all it took was the federal government's money to be messed with, and then all of a sudden they went down there and just, like, immediately started putting people back to work? That's all it took. So if that can happen in 1890-whatever, what makes us think that's not happening now? What makes us think that's literally not happening with the Amazon strikes, with the rider strike, with any type of labor, labor movement that even attempts to happen? And um, so with that, uh, like we said, that's pretty much what happened. It was a bust, really, because once the government got involved, it was over it. Pullman didn't really have to change anything. They did eventually disseminate the company town. It was like, this is illegal, blah, blah, blah. But he became the scapegoat for all of the industrialists, Mm -hmm. and um, that's pretty much all that happened. And people continued to fight because um, the working conditions were still bad. This was before the Great Depression, so you know shit got even worse. Um... Yeah, so, you, yeah, you so, said it was a, he was a scapegoat, right? So right back to American individualism, they got, got to put him at the forefront and say, okay, well, it's just his fault versus it's the entire system's fault that this is happening. Right. And um, so if we correlate that to what we've been going through recently with the corona and the people fighting in the streets and the riots, quote-unquote, and the white people getting scared, there was concessions that was made to us, and there are things that people are really proud of. And one <laughs> of the things is that we have a Juneteenth federal holiday that everybody does not also get to celebrate. Um, but that was a way to appease the blacks. And... Um, you also got the George Floyd bill, and you got 
uh, lots of little things like that. And you know what I'm saying? Like, at this point, they really didn't even have to work hard, you know, to get us appeased this time. We got the little stimulus checks, and then we didn't get no more. But after that, all it took was an election. Um, they, they, No, no, I'm lying. They did put billions of dollars into the election, into PR campaigns, and into PSYOPs, and into getting people... Uh, scaring you enough so that you didn't care anymore about fighting for liberation you were scared that somebody was gonna get an office that was gonna you know eat your children or whatever and so all that fervor and stuff went into that and um yeah they, they don't have to they don't have to be in the streets no more really um you know all it takes is a little bit of money all it takes is some celebrities all it takes is some social media um Campaign. algorithmic uh, yeah. type of things and then we're already done with it um something else that i found when i was just researching it it's not um tied to the pullman strike but it's just a similar deal about how the government intervenes in a lot or has in the past intervened in a lot of these labor strikes over the years and uh how it always it always ends up screwing up the workers so uh teddy roosevelt um, there was a coal miner strike going on in Pennsylvania. Same kind of things. We already know, if you've seen anything about the coal mines, it was terrible working conditions. Children was over there. People were dying. People were getting black lung. People were losing limbs. We had uh, short life expectancies working in coal mines. Just terrible. And the people said, we finna strike because this is too much. We are not working. Yeah, y'all, until a... y'all change, until y'all change some of these things that we need changed, and uh, it turned into the strike of 1902. Sparknotes version. It was causing a stir, and Teddy Roosevelt was like, "Yeah, this is getting out of hand. I'm going to sit down the union people and the um, coal miners people and see if we can all get together like men and come up with something." So he had a sten- the stenographers in the meeting, and the union people were like, you know, we really want to work, you know. We just need some of these demands met, which were they wanted a 10% increase in pay and an eight-hour work day. Um, and they were like, as soon as we get these demands met, we will definitely go back to work. Because it was getting to the point where schools were shutting down uh like everything was shutting down because you need they needed coal to to run pretty much everything and the coal industry was like we're not budging forget it period and so um teddy roosevelt uh got the transcript put it in the the papers and got the public side on the side of the coal miners because of course you know the public was not on the side of the workers in the beginning uh because of propaganda so after this time, the coal miners still ain't doing what they need to do until Teddy reached out to uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, who was in control of the um, Rainbow Railroad, something like that. Um, he had a definite interest in getting the coal miners back to work because, you know, he made money off of trains. He made money off of industry and the the coal miner strikes the the as they say were was getting more violent and um you know the thought was if these people become too powerful it will start even more protests around America so let's nip this in the bud so J P Morgan got the coal miners the the coal mining uh, execs uh, together and pretty much convinced them to go and sit back down with um, the unions by the time they got done with it. 
They said Teddy Roosevelt, he helped stop the strike because the damn union agreed to the concessions. The concessions was we're not going to give you 20%. We're going to give you a 10% increase in pay. And we're not going to give you an 8-hour workday. We're going to go from 10 to 9 hours. And that was it. And, uh, you know, that's what happened. The union said, okay, deal. Pretty sure they probably didn't consult with anybody. Didn't ask the people what they thought. Nothing like that. But, you know, that's kind of, the, the it's, it's becoming a common thing. Like, these unions, they just kind of decide when they want the strike to be over. And they just agree to shit. It's like, they had so much power. Because the capitalists were starting to lose money. They were starting to get scared. This is the time where you grab onto the balls and you start to squeeze them. Because now you've gone to the place where people are getting desperate. You don't just jump at the first thing. But that's what these unions do every single time. The Kellogg's thing that we just saw. The Pop-Tarts thing. The same thing every single time. Because ultimately, that's what they said. We want to go back to work. It wasn't about liberation. It wasn't about getting rid of capitalism. It wasn't about equal rights. It wasn't about getting rid of these capitalists. It was just, we want to go back to work. And if you do this, we can convince these people to go back to work. Because our job is just to maintain the status quo as much as possible. Um. So... Something else that I read about the coal mines was um, from Wikipedia. It said, organized laborers celebrated the outcome as a victory for UMWA and American Federation of Labor Unions generally. Membership in other unions soared as moderates argued that they could produce concrete benefits for workers much sooner than radical socialists who planned to overthrow capitalism in the future. Mitchell proved his leadership skills and mastery of problems of ethnic skill and regional divisions that had long plagued the Union in the anti-Thracite region. By contrast, the strikes of the radical Western Federation of Miners in the West often turned into full-scale warfare between strikers and both employers and civil and military authorities. The strike was successfully mediated through the intervention of the federal government, which strove to provide a square deal, which Roosevelt took as the model for his admin to both sides. The settlement was an important step in the progressive era reforms of the decade that followed. There were no more major coal strikes until 1920. Okay, so. Again, this is, like we said, it's, it's a trend. It's a trend. We've seen it with our own eyes. It's been a couple things. Amazon, everybody. What the government does is. It sees civil unrest starting to brew up. Not even with labor unions, just people in general. What is the first thing they do? We need to meet up. We need to have a meeting. We need to have a meeting. We need to have a meeting. We need to have a meeting with Black Lives Matter. We need to have a meeting with that Amazon guy. We need to have a meeting with the Kellogg's Union. We need to have a meeting with this person. And all of a sudden, after said meeting, stuff dies down. All of a sudden, they've come to a conclusion. Because the people that are representing the workers have successfully gone into that space with the American government, drank the Kool-Aid, and came back and told us shit was sweet. We've said it before. 
even back then. And this is when the unions had even more power. They truly were not on the side of the workers. Not these kinds. Now, they had the more radical ones that was, you know, for fighting and doing all this other stuff. But these jokers right here, it was all about keeping the status quo. It was all about nonviolent strikes, nonviolent protests. What the hell is that going to do? The thing that we're seeing and the thing that we continue to see all over time is... The only thing that gets the government moving is the threat of violence, the threat of loss of capital, the threat of destruction of property, the destruction of property, the loss of capital, the violence. That is the only thing. Give me a time. This is the challenge for the week. Give me a time where America passed something and it was just truly off the kindness of their own hearts. Show it to me and I assure you I will be able to find the real reason. So yes, during this Labor Day, just remember the reason for the season. Um, but the reason for the season was a way to distract us, a way to pacify us, a way to get us to stop thinking about the oppression of capitalism that we're experiencing, a way for us to spend even more money, a way for us to to be outstanding patriotic citizens by spending money, by using money to celebrate with family, by working some, some people even harder. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much the reason that we wanted to do this episode. <laughs> Because, you know, as we say every single time, the government, United States, does not have any new tricks. It uses the exact same thing to pacify us and to get us to forget about things. But it's so interesting once you finally find out stuff. It's like, how much of the stuff we, how much, how many things have either been revised, whitewashed, or just utterly just hidden or forgotten that we don't learn about until later like i never knew that that was the the reason of labor day i just thought the government just liked workers or whatever you know that's not true now but yeah um so let's know what you think about uh you know just the history of that and i, I definitely want us to read a little bit more about you know just those historical unions back in the day they weren't perfect they were racist as hell um and that is another reason why some of them were not successful because a lot of those unions weren't accepting black people immigrants catholics stuff like that those people ended up becoming the quote-unquote scabs. Those are the people that the, the capitalists and stuff started using to work in those factories. And the those people had no loyalty to the white working class because they were not even able to be a part of these unions. So what, what incentive do they have to cooperate? You know what I'm saying? And that caused a lot of downfall. So I think there's a lot that can be learned from these types of things, mainly that we're not your help is not going to come from a a a business structure a hierarchical structure a a corporate union your help is not going to come through that your help is going to come through yourself and your co-workers and all of us organizing power in numbers disrupting stuff getting these people to lose money getting these people to fear for their property fear for they and fear for capitalism in itself so yes uh 
hit us up on building our pwr if you have anything you'd like to add uh this has been gabby and kt and this has been building our power